Welcome to Book Notes, the Ohio Channel's conversation show featuring Ohio authors and books about Ohio. Columbus-born Jacqueline Woodson has written more than 30 books. Her 2001 novel, Miracle Boys, won the Coretta Scott King Award and was adapted into an award-winning miniseries. Her 2014 memoir in free verse, Brown Girl Dreaming, won the Newbery Award, the National Book Award for Young People's Literature, an NAACP Image Award, and an Ohio Ann Award. And thank you, Jacqueline Woodson. Thanks for having me. Your most recent book, Brown Girl Dreaming, written in free verse. What was that like? This is a, this is a, a novel that feels like a poem. How did it start with the story? Um, well, it's actually a memoir. Mm -hmm. And it, because it was memory, I wanted to write it as memory comes. So memory comes in these small moments with all of this white space around it. And I, I, I felt like I'd be um, dishonest to the narrative if I was writing chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, because that's not how I remember my life. So that's how we got to the verse. And then I wanted to be really intentional about the line breaks because I wanted it to paint a portrait of each moment. And so breaking the lines allows for the reader to kind of just take a moment and take in the image I just put in words on the page. It's interesting. Uh, you've now corrected me, I think, three times about saying that this is a memoir, not a novel. And I've been thinking about how, like, when you hear the idea of a memoir, it feels very much from, I, I, I don't know, this, this individual perspective. And a novel has this kind of third person plural. And I read this as, I guess I feel like this, this read as a novel because there are so many different events that, that are happening in, in your life through this process. So absolutely, it's, it's, a, it's a memoir, but it, 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 it to me felt differently. And then we had the whole poetry because of the, the, the line aspect. How do you go about determining what is going to go in versus what is not going to, to, to be included in, in the, the memoir aspect? And then the other thing, when you're breaking the lines like this, it's, you have paragraphs, you have sentences and, and, and things that, that you're building uh, a narrative with. Mm -hmm. And so now you, you've, you've got this line, so they've got, they need to have a different feel. It needs to end and, begin and have definitive statements in between. You don't have really the structure of a paragraph to really back that up. It's true. I think it's, it's multi-layered and, and so is the process. So the first thing I did was write down as many memories as I could. And then I realized at some point I would need to have that narrative arc to build the story. And so then I had to figure out, okay, so this happened when I was three, what was going on in the world? And I think that's why it also gets confusing because it's not just about me, it's about the world around me and the historical context into which I was born. So that is painting the landscape of each moment in my life and it's informing it. And so that you have that going on, you have what's going on historically, you have what's going on in my um, physical life, and then you have what's going on in my emotional internal life. And so all of that also has to be kind of scaffolded into the narrative. So it's interesting, we're actually both chi children of the 60s. Yeah. Uh, technically speaking, if you believe in the whole generation thing, you're right at the tail end of the baby boomers but I think you could also be accepted into Generation X, this kind of weird thing. And uh, so um, the memoir starts uh, with a statement, February 12, 1963 is, is, is when, mm -hmm. you were, w when you were born. And there was so much that was happening in America at this time. And then through the course of your life, you're from, you're from South Carolina, and then you're, you're in Ohio, and then you're also in, in New York. 
How, how much of a parallel between the, the, the social and really the historical upheaval that's happening in the 60s do you feel has kind of mirrored kind of your, your personal narrative? Oh, I think it's all um, definitely informed it. Um, I think looking back, when I sat down to write that, that um, Brown Girl Dreaming, the thing that I realized is this is why I'm writing what I write because of the um, energy I was born into and the moment I was born into. I write a lot about social justice. I write, I have this sense that we all have a right to be here and to live as fully as human beings as we possibly can. Um, I write a lot about acceptance. I write a lot about um, the kind of um, economic and racial disparities that still exist in our country. Um, you know, it's so much, as you say, was happening. And of course, I was an infant and wasn't aware of it, but I grew up in the energy of it. And so I grew up I was born in the North, we moved to the South, and then we moved to New York City, the North again, and um, I grew up between those many worlds, and then religiously I grew up between, you know, Christian and being Muslim, and then the economic class, so it definitely shaped how I wrote in terms of writing about social justice, writing about economic and racial disparity, um, writing about change, and um, not being fearful of it, because I grew up with the world changing and kind of both the backlash of that and the forward movingness of it. So um, it really shaped me, of course, as a human being, but it also shaped the narrative, not only in Brown Girl Dreaming, but in all of the books I've written. I love uh, at the end of this, you include photographs. So uh -huh. um, we, we, we get to see the whole family. but. In here, you talk about um, one of the, the first adults um, uh, that, that plays, uh, has a rather large part in the book. It's you call him by daddy, even mm -hmm. though he was actually your, your grandfather. And there are these touching parts in there. You talk about his influence in you and just kind of his, his, his whole, the, the family was religious um, and he, he didn't believe in religion because he wasn't going to be in any religion that wouldn't allow him smoking, to uh -huh. smoke. So. How do, you, how do you go back, you know, looking back over the years when you're writing something like that, how do you conjure that up in, into the text? So much of it is um, the photographs, right? So um, I looked through so many photographs, all, all the photographs of us in the swings and me sitting in his garden, the photographs he took. He had a, he took, he had a box camera and he was always taking pictures. So. I, and I also have this vivid memory of that period in my life. I remember my mom would say, how could you possibly remember that? And I don't know, you know, I just, it's the way my mind works. I just have these deep pockets of uh, intense memory. And so just um, one memory led to the next, led to the next. I also talked to my sister and brothers about what they remembered about that point in time. But the photographs really helped and that's why we decided to put them in the back of the book to just kind of show some of those moments. It's very effective. Um, you, you, you speak about you, your memory in, on, your, uh, on your website. Uh, one of the things that says an interesting fact about you is that you can actually recite mm -hmm. a lot of your, your books from memory. Mm -hmm. Seems very early on your teachers noted your ability to storytell. Did that shape the fact that, you know what, when I grow up I'm gonna be a writer? Or what do you think was it? that did that? Uh, 
I think I, I was saying I was a writer long before they recognized me as a writer. Um, they definitely, my family recognized me as a storyteller, you know, they called it lying, but I definitely <laughs> love telling stories. And when I read a book I love from a really young age, I was saying, I want to do that. I want to make someone feel the way I just felt when I read this book. I remember it happening with The Selfish Giant. I remember it happening with um, Hans Christian Andersen's The Little Match Girl. And just being in that moment and learning empathy and um, and just figuring, wanting to figure out how the author did that so that I could do it. And it was definitely my earliest passion was to not only tell stories, but to write. I love the physical act of writing. And when I learned to write my name, I, I just remember the power of that. Like, wait a second, I put these letters together and they make words, and then I put these words together and they make sentences. And it completely <laughs> unlocked me in this way because I just thought, I can, this is something I can do. This is a power I can have. And I always wanted to see my name on a book. That, <laughs> that was the other thing I thought, one day I want to see Jacqueline Woodson on a book. You have a lot of letters in, in, in your name together. Maybe that's what did it. If you were named like Ann Smith, <laughs> maybe, maybe you wouldn't have actually been oh, a, a writer. So um, you've written a number of books, 32, mm -hmm. 32, 32 different books. Uh, about half of those are, are young adult. Um, why, why go into the whole young adult genre? I think you get to go back and fix it, right? I, for so many of us, that was kind of the most painful period in our lives, right? Those kind of middle school, young adult years where you know there's a power out there that you don't yet have. Um, and you, you're trying to negotiate the world, fit inside it. You want to be accepted. You want to be loved. You, you want to not have such a strange family, whatever the otherness is. And I think it was um, Madeline Lingle who said, when we write, we should write remembering the children we were because the essence of childhood doesn't change. And so, you know, technology changes, fashion changes, then it changes back. But that, that um, innate desire to become is something that transitions generations. And, and I, it's, I like to access that. I like to go back to that period and kind of repaint the landscape. And, and it's fun, it's fun to create characters, it's fun to go back and create a situation and then, and, and the world, and then move people around in it so that you get the outcome you want, because you're not allowed, you, you can't do that with young adulthood in real life. It, it, it's interesting because in Brown Girl Dreaming, um, it is a memoir that reaches a novel in my mind. And then after Tupac and Dee Foster, uh, a, another one of your YA novels, it kind of is a novel that reads as a memoir, and I wondered about how much of that. It's three young ladies, and it's about the, their relationship, but there's, there's such exquisite detail in the kind of emotional connection, I think that you had to be drawing from actual experience in order to give this life. So after Tupac and Dee Foster, I feel like that book for me is about identity and, um, and becoming oneself in this way. And of course, that's what we all go through. I love Tupac, I've always loved his music. I wanted to set a novel between the first time he got shot and lived and when he got shot and died. And so that's that was kind of the um, foundation for that book. In terms of friendships, I would say 
that I've definitely had close friendships. I still have really close friendships and have a village in Brooklyn. And they, uh, the characters are, there's a little bit of Jacqueline Woodson in every single character from the Tupac that's depicted there to um, Nika and Dee Foster and everyone. But, but in terms, I, it's, it's um, emotionally autobiographical, but not necessarily physically autobiographical. So I have the only child because I wanted to be an only child at some point. And then I have the Nika who has all the siblings because sometimes that's what I wanted. Um, and, and so it, it definitely draws on kind of my own ideas about what it's like to be that age and then some of what I remember about what it's like to be that age. But it's not based in, I think one thing that happens is their parents don't let them leave the block and then here comes Dee Foster, who can go all over New York without an adult accompanying her. And th that desire for that kind of freedom, I, I knew well because I was pretty sheltered as a kid. February 12th, 1963. I am born on a Tuesday at University Hospital, Columbus, Ohio, USA, a country caught between black and white, I am born not long from the time afar far from the place where my great-great-grandparents worked the deep rich land, unfree, dawn till dusk unpaid, drank cool water from scooped out gourds, looked up and followed the sky's mirrored constellation to freedom. I am born as the South explodes, too many people, too many years, enslaved, then emancipated, but not free. The people who look like me keep fighting and marching and getting killed so that today, February 12th, 1963, and every day from this moment on, brown children like me can grow up free, can grow up learning and voting and walking and riding wherever we want. I am born in Ohio, but the stories of South Carolina already run like rivers through my veins. While you have all these different characters, are you writing a book from letting them kind of inform you, or are you an index card person? Do you know the ending when you start writing, or how, where do you begin? I never know where I'm going. I don't do index cards. I'm pretty disorganized as a writer. Um, I just kind of, it's a much more organic process. I have the, a character's voice in my head. I remember when I was writing this book called I Hadn't Meant to Take, Tell You This, which takes place in Chauncey, Ohio. Um, I had the voice of Lena saying, black, white, it don't make no difference. We all just people here. And I didn't know who she was. I didn't know what the story was going to become. But I just started writing down the things I thought this kid said. And then I knew she was white. I knew she came from a um, poor background. And I knew that she had a sibling. And that's all. And then I just started building this story around it with um, after Tupac and Dee Foster, the thing I knew was the Tupac part of it and that this girl was going to come in. And a lot of my books are based on the hero's journey, right? So you have the character in their ordinary world and then something happens that takes them out of their, that ordinary world and changes them forever and they come back home a little bit different um, and meets some allies and some challenges along the way. So I know that I have the hero's journey in my head very 
deeply, but I, I still don't know how that journey is going to go. And with that, with after Tupac, I was trying to figure out what the narrator's name was. And I kept putting in names, putting in names, and none of them worked. And I got to the middle of the book and I figured out what the story was trying to say. And then I realized why I couldn't figure out her name because it was talking about thinking you know someone deeply and then not knowing them at all. The way they think they know Tupac, the way they think they know Dee Foster, and the way we think we know the person telling the story and we close the book and we don't even know who that was, really. So is this the process that you engage all of your stories? Do, do some of them come more clear to you or is it more just like, I'm gonna investigate, I'm, I'm, I'm finding about the end just like the reader is? I, it's, it's much more of an investigation and I always say I write because I have questions, not because I have answers. And I, I think, what if, what if, okay, I'm gonna try this, what if this happens? And the story definitely informs me and sometimes it knows more than I do about where it wants to go. But I just kind of, I, I just trust that process that it's gonna get me where I'm trying to go. Um, and I do a lot of rewriting. I probably do so much more rewriting than people who maybe know where their stories are going. Um. Your stories, I mean, they, they, they deal with real events. Some of them are, are tragedies, but there's, at the end, we have this warmth. You don't feel as if you've been abused. Mm. <laughs> and I think of how you said that uh, you were influenced by the little, or the matchstick girl, uh -huh. which is a horrible story <laughs> for kids. I mean, it's, it's so emotional, but like, at the end, she dies. And it's like, it's tra like, you know, the people don't see her and like it, oh, it's horrible. Devastating. Yeah, it's devastating. <laughs> it is, but by the, you know, I was like, I will never let that happen to another human being. So I, you know, I was a person who didn't have empathy and then I was a person who did. And I think that's the beauty of, I think there should be some hope somewhere in all things we write. I don't remember, I think the hope that um, Hans Christian Andersen was trying to show us that is that she found her own way out of no way by, you know, finding the fantasies inside those flames. Um, and then when she died, it was it was so devastating, and I was changed, you know. And I think that's what literature does; it changes us. Yes. And so, and I was a much more empathetic young wow. person by the end of that book. You're changed, but it was it was a difficult thing. And I think mm -hmm. any book really actually changes you. But this way, like, at least you're hugged at the end. <laughs> no, 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 there <laughs> were no hugs. So, and, and I, I might be, I might be finding things where, where there's, there's not, but I, I think about this, this age that, that we grew up in, this kind of like coming to age in the 70s, you know. Mm -hmm in that how much marketing took a big part of, of the 70s. You, uh, you said that you, you have a great memory, and that this has been part of your story-making process, but you also remember the jingles yeah, and yeah. things from the 70s. So if I said A is for Apple, what would you say next? E is for, um, a is for Apple. Why was it J is for Jacks? You got it. So cool just Apple Jacks. Jacks, you need a good breakfast. That's <laughs> the fact. Yes. See, so this stays in our brain, and I just mm -hmm. wonder if that kind of being able to synthesize like this commodity, that this this marketing <laughs> has a way like affects those that are more aware of their surroundings. If that, if uh -huh. a kind of the, the the pop culture played any part of your narrative abilities, 
I definitely did. We, we had very limited television. I mean, in two ways. One, that my mom limited our television watching. And two, that television was limited, right? You had like four channels and you had some, a lot of commercials. And so you, there was a lot of room for boredom. So that helped me be a writer. But um, in those commercials definitely got in and stayed with me. I don't know how much they influenced me. I, I mean, I talk about the Chrissy doll and wanting this doll that I saw on television. Um, one of the poems I had in there that ended up being part of the outtake just because it was a little redundant was um, a mashup of all the cigarette commercials from the 70s. You know, like Winston tastes good like a cigarette should and I'd rather fight than switch and you've come a long way, baby, with the bins and the hedges. Um, and just so I was juxtaposing that with my grandfather dying of cancer from smoking like, and how um, these are the messages we're getting about the beauty and wonder of tobacco. Uh, and that was definitely from my childhood. And say everywhere you looked, you know, on billboards, on television, on the radio, you heard about the wonder of smoking, basically. Um, but I didn't, I did, I think I compartmentalized so that the jingles and the commercials, and I don't remember it being that many images about beauty, except we had Twiggy. Uh, the model Twiggy who was kind of national and everyone wanted to look like Twiggy, right? And then we had um, the Black Power Movement and everyone wanted a giant afro and daishikis and bell bottoms. And, and so there was both this super empowering movement and then some disempowering movement. And it, it was about where you were and how you took it in. That's great. Um, we are already out of time, but there are uh, four questions I wanted to ask you real quick. This is our speed round. so. Just uh, some short answers on this. Um, uh, pen or pencil? Pen. Long uh, paper or computer? Both. Okay. You also said that you hold your notebook in, in a thing. Did that just happen? I think, and this is interesting that I don't remember. I, I think I might have been left-handed at one, at one time. I bat lefty, I play golf lefty, I shoot lefty, um, and I write righty. But I, I and, and in third grade, I wrote upside down, and they got it so that I can actually write sideways now. But I can't write this like this, I, I can't. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, what are you reading right now? Um, Commonwealth by Ann Patchett. Okay, and then what would, the Jacqueline of now tell the younger Jacqueline who's trying to become a writer? Oh, that's good. I would say unplug. Oh. Oh, very interesting. Uh, is there something in the hopper right now that's coming up? I have a book uh, for adults coming out in, uh, in August called Another Brooklyn. Um, and right now it's Brown Girl Dreaming. This is the most recent one. Yes. So. Uh, with 32 different books to choose from, there's a wealth of Jacqueline Woodson. I suggest you just start uh, with the most recent and work your way backwards. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much.